0: Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash pivot.
2: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast.
0: Hi hey everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher,
1: and I'm Scott Galloway, and I have an impromptu game for us to play. What? And for no. the fans at home, I want you to know that Kara wasn't expecting this, and it's um, called Guess Which Guest Was on Pivot. Okay, so as you may or may not know, Kara has another podcast. It's not doing very well. <laughs> it's a bit of a thud, but it's called Sway, and it's from uh, I think it's from the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Yeah. Anyways, so I'm gonna name three people, and I want you to guess which guest did Kara get for Pivot versus Sway. Okay, CEO of Apple, Tim Cook. Yeah. Uh, CEO of Tesla, Elon Musk, or the COO of DoorDash. Which one was on Pivot? Which one was on pivot? (laughs) One guess, Kara. Who did you get for pivot? (laughs)
0: We could have gotten the CEO. Okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, Let's let's keep playing. This is getting good. Okay, all right, all right, keep going. Okay.
1: Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris.
0: I haven't had her on yet.
1: Senator, just go with it. This is my fucking game. Okay. Senator Elizabeth (laughs) Warren. Okay,
0: haven't, okay, yeah. Senator
1: Elizabeth Warren or Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner of the SEC. Who was on pivot?
0: None of them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Who was on Pivot? None of them. <laughs> okay. And so you have Evan Spiegel. You had Evan Spiegel I last did, week this on week. Pivot. Yeah, oh, wait, I'm a sorry. You had him on Sway. Sway.
0: He was on Sway. Yeah. Well, are he those wrote me a thank a you joke? note. He wrote me a thank you note, a hand, a, a, a hand thank you note. Those glasses are not a joke. They're, they're for creators, they're not for users. But a, a, Evan Spiegel actually writes people hand. Look at this. He sent me a note. He sent sent me a note, yeah, with Evan. He's dreamy. I can't believe he writes thank you notes. But look, you don't believe me, Evan Spiegel. See? So
1: what's with the deal with Evan those IMDVO glasses? What what uh, Okay, what's so that?
0: it's really interesting. They're going to they, you know they tried to do spectacles before where you just took pictures using these yellow glasses. They were cool. Mm-hmm. They were kind of cool, but you know, he said that they had a better uptake than I think they had. They certainly didn't sweep the world, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. So so but he's been interested in this idea of how to collect, you know, stuff as you move through the world. And so this is his move into, you know, AR really pretty much. And so w- there's a lot of activity and what they're going to do is do all this AR stuff where, so I was like in my backyard. And I could see the mm-hmm. planet swirling around my backyard and you look mm-hmm. with these glasses. And so they're not for users. They're for creators to start to create these AR experiences. Then they will have a product for, um, for consumers, which is going to be, he said, up to 10 years away. So they're hmm. trying to sort of seed the world with this AR s- material that mm-hmm. then could be used by consumers eventually. And so that's who they're for. And it's a it's a, it's a jump from filters. You know, they sort of popularize filters right. at right. the company. Yep. That's what it's about. It, it's a popularization. Uh, it's another step in that. So it's, it, you know, it's a big swing for the fences for him as usual. Mm-hmm. So in any no, case, he was sense. on Sway. Yeah, I he I was on Sway. Makes
1: sense. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg sure. said that um, the one of the greatest technological challenges is trying to figure out a way to get a supercomputer on something people put on people's faces. Yeah, that that's going to be that's still an enormous challenge. Yep, anyways. It is.
0: It is. But I have to say it was beautifully done because it is. And you don't wait. Those are for people just making things. And then they have a pretty mm-hmm. cool software thing. And they're going to take the people who make all those filters and they're going to help fund them and figure out. It's a great idea, as usual, mm-hmm. from Snap. Anyway, he's been doing really well. Um, But first, I want to let me give you. I know that you feel like neglected. Uh, because all bit. my all my major people are on the other uh, other platform, mm-hmm. my other family. Um, but the but uh, a prediction has come true. The securities and exchange uh, chief Gary Gensler said the federal financial regulators should be ready to bring cases against bad actors in crypto and other emerging technologies. So they're not going to be ignoring that. So what is the Who is the first case? Do you think Gary Gensler will bring? He's
1: mm-hmm. a, got a good
0: reputation. I'll tell you that. Preet Bahara loves him.
1: Yeah, and and he's a comer. He was, mm-hmm. I think, he was a partner at Goldman, and he strikes me as somebody who wants to make a mark. Yeah. So I think he sees crypto as sort of his well, his legacy. But um, I actually think it's good for the crypto markets. I think a certain amount of regulation. And I, I don't know if you've seen. I was looking at my looking at the markets today. Yeah. So you had this huge check back in crypto, and Mark yeah. Cuban called it huge. the great unwind. And I'm like, yeah. Not really. I mean, it, the markets have sort of, the crypto markets have sort of fallen back to or dropped or plummeted to like March levels. Yep. They're still way up for the year. And if you look to their credit as a market, the elasticity or the resilience, Ether is up 800 bucks today. Yeah. So I think some guardrails, um, some regulation is actually probably going to be pretty welcomed by most of the I think most of the serious players in crypto. Would
0: you put money in crypto right now?
1: I am putting money in crypto or specifically uh, I'm putting money. I I feel as if I have this crazy FOMO. One of Mm -hmm. my many shortcomings as an investor is I like to buy stuff on sale. And so when Michael Saylor told me to buy crypto It was at, or Bitcoin, it was at 18,000. I said, okay, I'll definitely buy it when it dips below 15. And it skyrocketed right. up to 60. Mm-hmm. And now that it's back to whatever, it's 30 something, I'm sort of thinking about what I've decided instead of trying to buy a coin, I'm gonna invest in the picks and shovels and I'm investing in a company called Ledger, which is cold storage hardware wallets. Okay. It's supposedly 10% by dollar volume of all crypto is stored on these, um, this hardware wallet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm who investing in the picks who and carries them? Who has the hardware wallets? Well, anyone anyone who wants to take advantage of the decentralized nature of crypto and doesn't want it on a platform that can be hacked. So the ah. idea of security and so you put it's, this in
0: like a what, like a safety deposit it, box? It feels or? like
1: a it feels like a very elegant Apple meets USB drive and it's uh-huh. not connected to the internet. So it's cold ah. cold storage means that there's just less chance that of a bad actor of it being hacked because it's literally off the grid. Yeah. And you have, and with crypto, you know, people- So you
0: have a device? It's a device.
1: Yeah, it's, it, looks like a, it looks like if Apple made a USB. And okay. you can plug it in and then you can trade and store and distribute. It's basically for the distribution and storage of this but asset. But you could lose it. Uh, yeah, but there's, there's means, my understanding is there's means of backing it up and things like that. It's basically a more elegant way of storing an asset right. okay. uh, in a more secure way. Uh, anyways, I'm investing. If I sound like I don't know picks what I'm talking about, trust me, but I'm I'm I want to invest in the in Levi's as opposed to the mine. Levi's yep. Strauss and Company yep. built the denim and yep. Yep. The picks yep. and yep. shovels yep. is the strategy I'm going with because right. I just okay. don't but have you, the You stomach.
0: also don't like Coinbase though because you think it's the fees and everything else are ridiculous.
1: Yeah, but I think Coinbase I and mean, the analogy we use is AOL. I think it's the great initial on ramp into the world of crypto. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I don't and and they have the capital. It'll be interesting to see what kind of moats they build to build some sort of differentiation, but right now, as far as I can tell, it's just a retail on-ramp into crypto with exorbitant um, commission Please. structures where their margins will come under attack.
0: Yeah, that's true. So And it's
1: overvalued. I just, yeah. don't, I just don't think it's worth the value right. of okay. General Motors so right now. But you're
0: not buying coin itself. Are you? I
1: have, I'm a no-coiner. I've never purchased a coin.
0: No-coiner.
1: I'm a no-coiner. Are you
0: a no-coiner? But you're a vaxxer. You're a no-coiner vaxer.
1: Oh, I am waxed right. and unwaxed,
0: <laughs> as we know. We've seen that picture. So another one. Speaking of all these little expressions, spacs uh, may be mm-hmm. going out of fashion. The Wall Street Journal is reporting reluctance of startups use with IPO with spacs. The numbers are down twelve percent, mm-hmm. I think, since May. Again, this was something that was oh, there were tons of people running into the space. Lots of people we know, including mm-hmm. I think you. Uh, what what think you of this situation of Wall Street? Again, another thing that I'm sure the SEC will be looking at strongly, also.
1: Yeah, look, there seems to be a pattern across every major technology innovation class or financial innovation, whether it's junk Mm -hmm. bonds, the internet, or SPACs. And that is the innovation comes along. It's very exciting. A lot of the early movers, the early pioneers make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It attracts a massive amount of capital. The market gets out over its skis, and then there's a bit of a a crash slash correction. And then, but coming out of it, you find there are enduring companies. Junk bonds are a static part, and an important part of our financial markets. Amazon was birthed from the dot com or the mm-hmm. and the dot bomb generation, and I do think SPACs are going to be a static part of the financial ecosystem. It's just that we have, I think, two hundred and seventy SPACs searching for a company right now. It's a great time to be a seller, and you have you have I think the majority of SPACs that are publicly traded are more than fifty percent off their highs, and this yeah, is they just. Are there is there's just no getting around it Uh, SPACs in addition to being a financing event where you get to go be public sooner they've had to reach further into the barrel and Mm -hmm. find companies that weren't sort of ready for prime time and the market it's not even the SPAC market that's tightening it's the pipe market because if to buy a company you have to get bolt on or staple on debt financing in the form of a pipe right Mm -hmm. and they're the adults in the room going sorry this just isn't this doesn't hold water and a lot of these companies typically when you go public
0: pipes, yeah Mm -hmm.
1: You go public knowing that your next two quarters numbers are kind of baked. You know you know right. they're gonna be good or exceed expectations. And with these companies, a lot of them, their their projections uh, are already missing. Uh, but so the bottom line is, it's a great time to be a seller. And when you think about this, Kara, the interesting thing about SPACs is that from the moment they SPAC, they have 24 months to do a deal or they have to give their money back and the sponsors right. have to come up with about 10 million bucks. Yeah, or two to four percent of the gross proceeds, and then they lose it all. So, yeah. you're about to see. I mean, I'm on the I'm on about four four company boards, and mm-hmm. I get an inbound from a uh, someone looking to de-spac probably every forty eight hours, mm-hmm. and and their desperation is only going to grow because it's not even twenty four months. If a spac doesn't de-spac within six months, it begins to smell. Yeah, and yeah. so you're going to have. Uh, probably, I mean, I think it's something. The number is something like seventy to a hundred billion. So these are
0: inbound of looking to buy your companies, like that. You heard you're about. going
1: on the board. Yeah. Of Open Web, we yeah. would like we're us back. I mean, that that one I'm getting every forty eight hours. Yeah. And what do um, you say?
0: What is it you actually say to them then?
1: Uh, I give them the name and I give them the email address of the CEO and say that at this point we're just looking to build a great company. We're not we're not right. looking us back. Uh, But I pass them on to the CEO. Uh, Right. So, but the level of desperation – and these are credible SPACs with very credible operating groups. But the number of – the number of – give the
0: case why you would and why you wouldn't.
1: Well, so I'm – okay, I'll I'll tell you about a company I'm involved in that is SPACing. I'm an investor (laughs) in Better Mortgage, which Mm -hmm. is a company – um, founded by this kind of this tech genius named Vishal Garg that has said, all right, there's 200 intermediate steps between applying for a mortgage and getting approved for one that involve, that involve humans and regulation and paper and unfortunately, sometimes systemic racism. Mm-hmm. And so he said, if we can use technology and AI to collapse the supply chain, I can get a mortgage approved in 40% of the time and pass all of those savings back to the, back to the borrower and the, literally the level the the level of business they're doing and the productivity per employee is off the mm-hmm. charts and a company okay. doing billions of dollars and then a SPAC came along and said we want to do this and the most the most attractive thing about the SPAC that we mm-hmm. or that they I'm not on the board mm-hmm. I'm just an investor and the reason they agreed to it was that SoftBank showed up and said we will do the pipe and uh, so this is this means that the SPAC will get done it means it's credible and also it, it shortens your time to market, your time to a public company, because right. they have already done a lot of the SEC five. So basically it's time to market. You get to go, you get to take advantage of a good market. You get your sort of just add water IPO. Um, and the reason not to do it is that if you're building a company um, and feel like you're not ready to go public and you wanna go and you build like, you feel like you're really building an mm-hmm. enduring company and you right. feel as if you have the option and don't necessarily feel the need to get out right now, going traditionally through a JP Morgan or Goldman, those companies The way I would describe it, the whole world goes iOS or Android. And if JP Morgan or Goldman take you public via traditional IPO, you're sort of the iOS, mm-hmm. whereas Android is the guy spacking right now. And that's not yep. to say that they're not great yep. companies.
0: Yeah, yep. I agree.
1: It's time uh, to market. What are your thoughts?
0: I, I, th- I think the pipe is re- critically important. This is inv- this is private investment and public equity commitment. That So it shows that someone believes in it. That's really pretty much the, the pipe, and it gives them money to do things with. And without it, it makes it much harder. So it's a private investment in public equity when they do a SPAC and then they Mm -hmm. have they have some room to breathe. I don't know. I think it's just I think uh, I, I think the public I think one of the things is shown is the IPO process like your mortgage process you just described is slow and onerous and mm-hmm. problematic. And so how to get people cashed out, you know, how to how how you get these startups into a position where they're liquid is a really interesting one. So I think I think people are like spack, spack, spack. oh now they're terrible. I think probably the truth is right, right. Middle. Somewhere in the middle. What I'd that's what right I say. Right in the middle.
1: Overcorrection on both. The, the, yeah, the pendulum exactly. is never but, you in know, the uh,
0: but, but you know, when like Paul Ryan had a SPAC, I don't even know if he managed to land it somewhere that I was like, huh, why does he dare? Like, I just I remember being like, mm, mm. I, you know, Joanna Coles, I got, you know, I'm mm-hmm. OK. I got that. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: Paul Ryan, I was like, uh, I don't think so.
1: But what what will be interesting, though, is in three to six months yep. when some of these SPACs start lapping their one year anniversary, which yep. means they now have gun to that, you are going to see panic at the disco. Possibly. I mean, it's going yes. to be very interesting to see what these, uh, how desperate these companies, and what and the the companies they are willing to SPAC with. It's going to be.
0: Yep. Yep. Th-
1: it's going to be interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't just take any old SPAC. That's all I'm saying. Not any old SPAC. Um mm-hmm. Okay, time for big story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Apple CEO Tim Cook took the stand uh, on Friday in the Apple versus Epic Games t- antitrust trial. Epic makes it as an epic trial about Epic Mm -hmm. and Apple. Um, The trial will wrap this week. Reminder, Epic Games is known for popular game. Fortnite sued Mm -hmm. Apple, claiming that the company had created a monopoly in its app store and uses power to make unfair cut from other companies. Apple currently holds dominance over the $100 billion app market that could Mm -hmm. change depending on how the trial turns out. Tim Cook laid out, he was quite uh, right out there, laid out Apple's high-minded values around privacy in the defense, but he also gave a lot of information about the company. Privacy, from our point of view, is one of the most important issues of the century, and safety and security of the foundation of privacy. is built upon technology has the ability to vacuum all kinds of data from people, and we like to provide tools to circumvent that. Uh, that said, not everybody, uh, you know, he did lay out a lot of stuff. Apple's facing similar lawsuits from federal regulators, the European Union, other class action suits will be affected by the outcome of this trial. Uh, so, so what do you think, Scott? And she's she's kind of asking questions right in the middle. I wouldn't say she's pro-Epic by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, she's not anti, she's not pro apple Either. It's interesting. She's asking sort of down the middle questions
1: again. Yeah, this will be very interesting, and I'm, I need to make another disclosure. I'm an investor in Epic. So, oh,
0: okay, wow. So, what aren't you an investor in
1: <laughs> Chipotle, the company I love, um, <laughs> the one I couldn't get into? Uh, so, look, uh, this will be very interesting. It'll set the tone for a lot of antitrust. Uh, but this is they have monopoly power, and it's not mm-hmm. to say they didn't deserve it. People, people always look at it through the lens of, well, did they earn it? Yeah, they earned it congratulations right. but that right. doesn't mean we don't go in and break it up i mean we sort of we we've become so strange around um, forgetting our legacy of antitrust we act as if they have to be bad people or doing something mm-hmm. wrong it's like no we just make a we make a concerted evaluation and decision mm-hmm. that at a certain point a company earned or not if it has monopoly power it begins to reduce competition and results in a level of uh, negative externalities that are just bad for the economy and bad for job growth mm-hmm. and bad for the tax base. And I think that we're at that point with iOS. I'm shocked that they aren't getting out ahead of this and lowering the fees. I think yeah. at 30%, it just feels kind of rich.
0: Yeah. So I'm shocked
1: they're not trying to get out ahead of it. But his go-to is we've made these huge investments in privacy. I think what will be interesting is to say, well, okay, what How percentage of your revenue you what percentage of your top line revenues have you really invested in privacy? Does that warrant a thirty percent tax on this stuff? And
0: it's it, it's interesting. They had a lot of experts. They had MIT economists. They had uh, Stanford economists. They had University of Michigan economists. There were all kinds of people arguing the whole thing. And I thought the judge handled it well. So Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers is the judge in this case. Is really not on anybody's side here. She gave like she smacked Epic a little bit around mm-hmm. substitutes, saying there there is. You know, you could, there's other places. Your formulation seems to ignore the reality that customers choose an ecosystem. There's a lot of evidence to trial in the foremarket of devices. It is Apple's business ready to create a particular kind of ecosystem. So it, it's interesting. Um, that looked like she was leaning Apple's way. And then the attorney uh, representing Apple um, was making some points. And sh- and Roger said, I guess you were saying this quality of the price has gone down, but it hasn't gone down to justify super competitive profits, which is what the point you were making here. So she's, she's, I don't know what she thinks, honestly. I have to say, she's sort of making a good point on one hand, on the other hand, kind of thing. It could take months, but well, that's what good judges
1: are supposed to do, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's super interesting and it'll set the tone for a lot of stuff because, um, it just strikes me that they become so powerful in that ecosystem that it's one of it's one of two things, either mm-hmm. big is good and makes sense, and you need to have yeah. scale to make the requisite investments in security and safety, yeah, uh, which means, quite frankly, it's a utility and should be regulated, right? Or we'd all benefit if Epic and other people could charge a lower fee for their own in-app purchases. Yeah, I think it's ve- I think it's just very difficult to make the argument that. This level of concentration of power is good, but we're not a utility. So I don't, yeah. I think that's a very difficult uh, needle to thread. Yeah, I think
0: she's going to do something interesting. She said, uh, Her questions were great. I have to say, I was like, huh, those are the questions I would ask. And she said, if I decide relevant market is gaming, but there are other factors showing anti-competitive conduct, how would that impact mm-hmm. your analysis? She asked Apple at one point, and the lawyer said that would make me very sad. I just was like, she kind of stuck it to everybody in a lot of ways. Like she, she sort of cut holes throughout their whole, both of the sides. You know, everybody tries to make their little case of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she, 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 she was asking the right questions. It'll be interesting. I think she'll probably... Maybe he's go for a settlement of some sort, but you know, the mm-hmm. real, f- the real fight Apple's facing is with Spotify. I mean, cause they're in a, they're in actual competition. In this mm-hmm. case, it's about payments, right? And a little bit of data, essentially. Like, what do we, what do you have to pay? And what is the, what is the, what's the toll of this road, essentially? Um, and, and, uh, uh, and, and and the judge also had him address app store profits that seemed disproportionate. That's what she, the, what she was saying, disproportionate. But I, I think the issue is we'll be Spotify. He, this is not over by any stretch for Cook or Apple if they win. I don't think there's a win here at all for anybody, pretty
1: much. Well, you're, I, I don't know if he did it on your show, but Barry mm-hmm. Diller made an interesting point, and that was – Alright, look at the infrastructure that the credit cards put in place. They're ubiquitous, yeah. they make massive investments in security yeah. and technology such that anywhere in the world you can pull out yeah. your MasterCard or your Amex or your Visa, it's basically a triopoly, run it, and they figure out a way uh, to process and transfer uh, money and put pr- yep. the promise of money um, yeah. securely and safely. And in exchange for that, they charge 2-3% to 3% of the yeah. transaction. So Apple is everywhere, safe, secure transactions, but they're taking 30%. And it's not even the fees that struck me, it's the scope or the breadth of them. If you look at every streaming video platform, yeah. I don't care if it's Disney+, Plus, Netflix, Hulu, somewhere between like three or four and 12 and 15% of their top line revenues, Just which probably translates to a third of their profits go to Apple, yeah, because anyone who's downloading an app to play any streaming it's a good service,
0: business, it's, it's a, a good, really business good business owning business. the rails. I'll tell you, yeah, I mean, and we've talked about that, and that you know, actually, I argued that in my column for the times this week was like you talk about discovery, AT&T together, it's not enough. Are you kidding? That's a tiny little nothing, like you said, a pimple. Uh, on the on the ass of tech, essentially. I think that's what you said. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting case, but this is not far from over. Uh, we'll see where she goes. But I really did admire uh, the judge, uh, Judge Rogers's uh, questions. I thought she was quite sharp on both of them. And I love that. I love when a judge does that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. We'll be back to do a Scott mini lesson and talk to a friend of Pivot about app dating, one of your favorite topics.
2: Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, Scott, we're back. I, you wanted to
0: do a mini class today. You want to discuss why big is inherently bad or is
1: it? Hmm. So hmm. it is isn't inherently bad. Okay. Um, big Let's doesn't have make your sense. Lesson.
0: Okay, well, let me just do this. Professor Scott Galloway, take the stage. Gong gong! I want to
1: donk, be donk. LA Law. Don I want donk. to be. There we go. Gong <laughs> gong. Um, look, so big isn't necessarily bad. It makes sense to have one U.S. Navy. It's. Uh, it makes sense to have one IRS. It makes sense probably to have one Florida Power and Light. And when we decide that we need scale and that it makes sense, we typically regulate those companies, and voters or regulators get to make sure that those companies aren't in fact abusing their size and their monopoly power. And if you look at what's happened in our economy over the last thirty years, the top fifty companies in the world added about four and a half trillion dollars of market capitalization in just the last just the last year, making their combined uh, net worth about a third of global GDP. Okay, so what do we have? We have the top 50 companies massively leveraging their consolidation and power to increase their profitability, at the same time, decreasing their tax rate. And as you get more profitable, you can hire more lobbyists. We begin to fetishize innovators, and all of a sudden they're paying lesser taxes, meaning that future generations are smaller and medium-sized companies have to pay more. So what do they do? What do they do with all this additional capital? And Republicans, and this 900 person communications department at Facebook will say, well, actually we make these forward-leaning investments in CapEx and Joe Kiernan and all, all the, the the business apologists uh, on CNBC will say, well, they make huge investments in our future growth. But that's not true. This is what yeah. they do. The actual share of R&D has gone down. What they use that capital for is stock buybacks, which are good, they increase, the share price, which increases the compensation of employees, but mostly the CEO who's seen his or her multiple on the average worker salary go from 50 to 300 in the last decade. And actual R&D has gone down. In 1990, IBM was the world's largest publicly listed company and devoted 9% of its revenue to cap expenditures. And in 2020, the largest market cap company, Apple, which is the, the Jesus Christ of every innovator's eye their top, their spend in R&D is 3%. So R&D down, R&D down, employment down, new business formation down. The companies that have the greatest concentration and power, the sectors, whether it's computer hardware, search or social, have an absolute collapse in new business formation. Why do we care? Is small good? It is good. Two thirds of new jobs are created by small and medium sized companies. And this mm-hmm. is what you end up with as a consumer. On Saturday fucking morning, a guy shows up who was supposed to be at my house sometime between 12 and four. They get to give you a four-hour window, doesn't show up and shows up Saturday morning at 8 a.m. banging on my door saying, hi, I'm from Comcast here to fix your cable. I'm like, oh, you must be a monopoly because no other shithead would supposed to be here yesterday and not show up and then show up at 8 a.m. on Saturday and act like nothing is wrong. When an EpiPen goes up 1,100% because a company with cheap stock, because they've massively juiced their stock with share buybacks, goes and buys a smaller pharma company and then jacks up the price 1,100%. that's called a concentration in power. Yeah. And then you look at the other side and you say, well, Scott, are breakups good? Yeah. Breakups are amazing. They're amazing. They Point to a breakup where it, it didn't end up increasing jobs, increasing shareholder value, increasing tax base.
0: Where are big good? I'm going to interrupt you. I'm the annoying sure. student in the front row. Where is big good?
1: Oh, I Besides think Besides the army uh, in I business. Think, like, I, think I was in, making sure. the argument
0: that media is too small now, even- even when you combine them because it's not enough, like as you and I said last week.
1: But this is the problem. It, 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 what it leads to is it gets worse and worse. So my publisher, Penguin Portfolio Random House, mm-hmm. and by the way, great branding, just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> They're now too big. But because yeah. we have these giant monopolies, we're letting little monopolies form because oh, no one can logically say- That's what
0: i trying to get out of you. Yes, okay.
1: Because no one can logically say, okay, let's keep Time Warner uh, from being acquired by AT&T because they got to take on Google. Well, guess what? They probably shouldn't be allowed to merge, but they're facing a billion-strong player called iOS and a three-billion-strong player called Android. So where does it help? In some places where, like, electricity grids, even certain cable companies that have to make... If you have to make staggering, staggering CapEx, yeah. you can make an argument that a monopoly does make sense. And then we put a regulator in from the government to make sure that they're not jacking up the prices on low-income households, right? We, right? we make sure that they're behaving as a decent citizen. But these companies, this is what happens with these companies. They lower their capex, they take all of that cabbage and they put it back into share buybacks, which guess what? Who owns 90% of American stocks by dollar value? The top people. 1%. Yeah. So this is what we have. We have a a destruction in jobs, a destruction in new business formation, a destruction in the tax base. Government gets overrun by lobbyists. We have a lack of new business formation, and we have fucking Comcast knocking on my door at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning.
0: (laughs) So this is all about Comcast knocking on your door.
1: Big, look, big on its own is not necessarily bad. What we have allowed here in terms of consolidation and power Mm -hmm. is bad for every stakeholder except one. And that's the CEO who has seen their compensation skyrocket. And unfortunately he or she in these dual-class shareholder structures gets to make the decision. The The biggest tax cut on the American public whether it's a woman looking to get medication for her child with diabetes, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's someone looking for better cable, whether it's someone looking for more innovation in retail, the biggest tax cut on the American public would be to triple the budget of the DOJ and go in and start breaking all that shit up.
0: I like it. I like it, Scott. All right. Okay. What do you think is going to actually happen?
1: Oh, I think it's starting. But I've been saying okay. that for a while. All I've right. Been that for, okay. What do you Well, think? it's like
0: your Twitter thing. I think in some cases my god I don't know how these media companies are going to fight Google. I made that argument like yeah. in the column like I no. I, I got to say
1: they got to bulk up, I agree.
0: They got to bulk up. And so what do you do if that's the case? Like uh, you you're break right. up Google. That's right. That <laughs> you break is break up fair.
1: Amazon. <laughs> that you regulate is fair. the App Store.
0: <laughs> yep, that is fair. That is fair. It's just it's it's an almost intractable problem, I have to say. It's really quite I I don't quite know what to do about it. Honestly, I'm like, uh like we talked about that today on 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 uh, CNBC and everything. And I think you're right. I think it's uh, sometimes big is in better, but mini. I like your idea of mini monopoly, Scott. I think that's quite brilliant, actually. Anyway, yeah, anything it, else? It, anything it, else, Professor Galloway?
1: No, I, I look I, the the economy. Two thirds small business. Do you know what percentage of new businesses are less than a year old? What. 7%. And during the Carter administration, it was 15%. So we like to make this cartoon about how wonderful small businesses are. You know what? Yep. We've decided we fucking hate small business. Yeah, We've decided we don't like innovators. We we call the big companies innovators. You know where they focus the majority of their efforts? Tim Cook marching into an office, marching into a a, 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 a chamber to talk about why they should continue to extract 30% a year from from app stores. Well, you know what?
0: I, they're keeping us safe, Scott,
1: <laughs> from privacy. <laughs> or privacy. Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's, us the thing. here's the thing. We act like it's a punishment. No, it's not. They're not bad people. The people around yeah. the aluminum companies weren't bad people. The people. Some of them were. The people at AT and T weren't bad people. Some it's it, we look at it as a punishment. It's not a punishment. Congratulations, you win. Yeah. You've done an amazing job. Now we're breaking your ass up. And guess wow. what? You're going to be worth more money.
0: All anyway. right, <laughs> Professor Galloway. That is an excellent lesson. The lessons of Scott. There you go. Okay, Scott, thank you for that mini lesson. It was very exciting. But let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Nancy Jo Sales is a New York Times bestselling author and the author of a new book, Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno well, that's an image. She has also released uh, the 2018 HBO documentary Swiped, Hooking Up in the Digital Age. And she was the author of that very famous Vanity Fair story about Tinder. And she's here to answer all our questions about dating apps and about her book. Nancy Jo, thank you for coming on to Pivot. Thank you. Hi. So tell like tell us about though that. You've been writing a lot about dating for a, many, many, many years. And it started with that Tinder piece that sort of got everybody all up up in arms or hot and bothered, as you might say in the dating (laughs) business. Um, Talk about why you, why you decided to do this and, and some, some aspects of what this book's about.
3: Um, I did that article. It was viral. It caused a big kerfuffle. As you know, among Mm -hmm. the dating industry people, especially Tinder, um, which, you know, famously tweeted at me over 30 times in one night. They were so angry about that piece in 2015. And then, um, You know, I was simultaneously doing a book about girls, teenage girls, and their uh, social media use. And it was a bit ahead of the curve in terms of looking at the harm of everything, you know, and not just celebrating it as like, you know, what the kids are doing. Um, And while I was reporting all of that, I saw that dating was changing very, very quickly. And I, I interviewed a research scientist at Kinsey who said that this is the biggest change and mating we've had in 15,000 years since yeah. the agricultural revolution. I mean, it's really unprecedented, but I think we're all just kind of like the frog in the pot and we don't always realize how much our behaviors and attitudes about dating and, um, you know, what the scientists call mating are changing. And, yeah, then I did the film and I did this book that just came out, Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating app Inferno. I did this book because I had had all of these experiences of my own that I hadn't talked about. And also I felt like still, even with the film, which was on HBO, somehow the critique of dating that I hear from all of my sources, from young women and men too on Twitter, on social media, doesn't make it into the mainstream discussion that we're having now in TechLash about how uh, you know, tech companies need to be more accountable to their users. And it just hasn't translated into how we talk about Tinder and Bumble and, mm-hmm. and Match Group. And it's really, I think, important to talk about because they are, you know, they, they've done this sort of monopolization of, of one very central aspect of human life, which is intimacy.
0: Right. You know, This is and- Scott's wheelhouse, this idea of one about women and girls and how they feel about these and then these dating apps. Scott?
1: Well yeah, I, uh first off, it's it's nice to meet you. Um Nancy Joe, I, I like I think your work is really interesting and and there's not enough attention uh on kind of the I don't know, I don't know what you call it dating uh, economy. The majority of your work I think really brings to light some of the uh, misogyny or sort of hooking up culture and why that's bad for women What particularly
3: w- as weaponized by tech.
1: I uh, 100%. What I don't think gets uh, as much attention as as it probably warrants, though, is it's also bad for men. And that oh, is. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Is, there sort of seems to be this uh, uh, if you look, if you apply the Gini coefficient to mating inequality, there's greater mating inequality then there is income inequality. And that Tinder showed that four, if there, if you have a room of 100 people, 50 men and 50 women, four men get the attention of 46 of the women. Wh- the bottom line is women are much more discriminating than men. Men are much more inclined to swipe right than than women. And doesn't it create uh, sort of this mating inequality that that is, um, I don't know, I guess bad for both parties?
3: I think it's bad for both parties, absolutely. And I talk that, about that a lot in – my book, Nothing Personal, There's a, it's a very big theme in the book because it was through my own experience, experience with dating mostly younger men because when I went on Tinder, there weren't a lot of people my age. I went on my late 40s into my early 50s. I'm off now and all of these apps. But I was able to see firsthand through relationships, through dates, through hookups, Um how young men are affected by all of this. And one of the running characters in the book is actually a young man that I had a relationship with for several years, and we sort of watch his evolution from really, honestly, fresh-faced boy come to New York into raging fuck boy. And I hope it's clear that this is done with great sympathy, seeing how it was the effect of the technology, uh, the access, pornography, internet porn. He was a guy who grew up like in a house in, in, in the, mm-hmm. in the deep South, very poor, had no internet access. It wasn't until he came to New York for a job, got a phone, then suddenly is on apps, you know, watching porn. And it's, it's all very, I think, interconnected. Mm-hmm. And he was also really challenged, um, in the ways that a lot of young men, young millennial men are in terms of not being able to, um, get a good job, make enough money, accrue of, you know, know, assets and savings. So feeling really behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. And all of this played into, I think, how the dating app culture affected him in terms of something that he used as a recreational way to feel powerful. Well, Mm -hmm. except they're not, because
0: one of the things I have noticed from everyone I know, including my own son who uses dating apps, we had a discussion about last night, they feel bad. It feels powerless, Oh, you know. Yes. Which they, my friend, who's gay, uses all. Of them. He feels Absolutely. bad about it. Uh, my women friends who use it, they feel bad about it. My son, who's young and handsome, it feels young, you know, like should be like not feeling bad about dating. Feels bad about it. There's something inherent in it
3: that it makes everyone feel bad. It makes everyone feel exhausted. What, why is that? Talk about well, the idea of it, because I,
0: when you brought that up many years ago, everyone was like, "How dare you, Nancy Joe Sales?" Like how you're especially talking about how women get. Uh, talked down to by men, like in a really negative way. And then at the same time that men talk down, which is also debilitating to them, I think, even though fuck them. But at the same time, it's
3: not a way to behave. There's no way to live. Well, let's look at what this, I mean, let's look at the macro. If you just take it away from men, women, people who identify in other ways, away from sexual orientation, if you just look at like the macro of the business, the business model Is engagement, right? Like, Mm -hmm. as with all social media, the business model is engagement. It really doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, or whatever. It's just they want you to engage with the app. So I think that the business model is flawed. I think it's a bad faith proposition to tell people, which they do. And in some countries, actually, their ads are banned because they're seen to be lies, because they promise scientifically we're gonna match you with the person of your dreams or we're gonna find you a soulmate. But in this country, you know, we just see these ads and we think like, oh, dating maps are my fairy godmother. I'm gonna like find my soulmate and right off into the sunset. So that's the lie of the advertising, but the business model is actually engagement and addiction and constant, um, you know, endless swiping, et cetera, which is exhausting. That's a word that comes up a lot in when I interview people about apps, men, women, whatever. It's exhausting, it's exhausting because I think it is labor. It's unpaid labor. In fact, in, some, in a lot of cases, you are paying to labor for them. You are paying into their business model, which is that they get you hooked. You are swiping, 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 giving data, answering, answering questions, questionnaires, uh, exchanging back and forth messages where you might mention things that you you know buy or places you've been. So you know these are this is not a good faith proposition. I think for anyone ma- man, woman, anyone. But
1: to be fair, haven't, aren't isn't it somewhere between one and three and one and five marriages originating on a dating app? I mean, people are. No, those numbers no, not
3: that is not correct. No, uh, correct not.
1: the record then. What is it? What percentage According of marriages are people not That who did is not, not name correct.
3: Them? I don't know what data you're referring to, but the, the most reliable data that we have is from yep. Pew Research Center which said in 2020 yep. that oh, Americans 12% of Americans overall mm-hmm. are and this wasn't marriages, this was marriages or long-term commitments and we don't don't even know from the data what long-term means, but marriages are long-term commitments of Americans overall mm-hmm. and 39% of dating app users so, I mean, you could say, well, that's 39%. Mm-hmm. But for um, businesses that promise to find you the man, woman, or whoever of your dreams... Is 39% really enough? And also for the time that they get you in there and get you hooked, the amount of time that you're giving them, if there was a COVID shot that had 39% efficacy, would you take it? Yeah. So 39% does not sound good to me. So Mm
0: -hmm. what what do you think is going to happen? Speaking of the pandemic, how did they change during the pandemic and how do you expect that to change as people get vaccinated? I mean- just out this weekend, just in my neighborhood, it looked like mating season was on. It was crazy and, well, and nice to see, I have to say. Everybody's nice.
3: saying um, that it's really a curious thing, okay? Yeah. because. Uh, Here we are. We're on the precipice of what a lot of my friends in New York are saying is going to be like the 1920s. I mean, this is going to be like the summer of love or something. People are so excited to get Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. to start dating and meeting people in person again. You know, the dating apps have really disaster cap, you know, the the way the dating apps used the pandemic was like a study in disaster capitalism, I think, because, you know, they all, all of a sudden, this was really truly the only way to date. Unfortunately, I don't think that that's really going to change that much, because I think the addiction is real. I think the behaviors that they've, uh, the social conditioning that they've done in which people feel less able to even talk to each other in person now, um, feel like this is, quote unquote, the only way to date. I mean, even before the pandemic, I interviewed people who said, gay people, straight people, all kinds of people who said like, I will be in a bar and see one, someone across a room and I will go on Tinder to see if they're on Tinder or Grinder or something, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like, someone says that in my film. He's like, if I see a cute guy in a bar, I'll just go on Grindr and see if he's on Grindr. I won't go up and talk to him. So I think this is a real... uh Is there a right way to use these apps as a tool or or the design fundamentally flawed? Like,
0: these things should work in some way, right? It's like they're they're sort of... Not analog. There were analog versions of this before. So what you know, whether they were. Yeah. What ads, do you think? Of, what
1: would you What would you ask would of these companies to make a healthier ecosystem around establishing productive, healthy relationships?
3: Well, it's interesting because this guy who's a, a tech investor mm-hmm. reached out to me on DM. He said he invest in dating apps and he read this kind of op-ed i did in the guardian you know before the publication of my book about all this and he said gee i didn't know any of this <laughs> well you don't know about it because like the new york times and people like that do not oh i'm sorry i mean the okay. new york times does a lot of great reporting on a, on a lot of a lot of things but dating culture is not one of them they tend to be very it's modern love it's you know yeah you know it's it's cute it's a cute meet you know and you're gonna have a date with timothy chalamet and like clink rose you know yeah. rosé it's clink hopeful Gl- Let's just yeah, say it's, it's hopeful. it's It seems to be what they think people want to hear. And so I think that the 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 harms, the like really serious harms, because you want to talk about data. We have serious data now on rape, sexual assault, harassing messages, dick pics, all this kind of stuff. And if this guy hasn't heard of it, it's not necessarily uh, that surprising. Anyway, he said, what do we do? What do we do? I want to tell all these places where I invest what to do to fix this. You know, I... I'm not a tech person. I'm a, I'm a journalist and an author. Now I'm memoirist. I'm trying to, you know, throw my own experience in there to um, make people feel seen. But I don't know the answers in terms of tech. I do know that there are certain things about these platforms that I don't see how you can fix, like the male gaze being how men see women on these mm-hmm. apps. But I, I do think there needs to be a radical reimagining of it. And I think the first step towards that is talking about what's really wrong with it and not pretending that just because Tinder or, or whoever, you know, donates some money to a sexual assault organization, which is, is good, please do that. They need your money. That doesn't change what's happening. Is just there be- any site that, that is good? Is Bumble? Well, or- for, let me just interject
1: Sorry, here. I, I went on Tinder and I was really upset because I found that it deleted my account if I didn't mention hiking or dogs in my bio. <laughs> and so I started going on Tinder just to find women who would share their HBO Go password.
3: I felt right, like we needed guy. a little levity.
1: Here. Did we need a little levity? <laughs> well,
3: the, there Did women... we need a
1: little levity? Come yeah. on. Well,
3: dating, well come on. <laughs> there Very are, little. No, we do. We very do. little. There are women who um, say that they, you know, they call it Tinder pizza. They get, they, they yeah, well, that's up going back years I reported that. They say yeah. that they get guys to send them pizza, you know, as oh. like a way to talk to them. Like if you send a pizza to this address, I don't know how they're, Keeping them from knowing their addresses. But anyway, the Tinder pizza, you know, people use that's, see, that's the problem. That what you just say is a problem because I oh, think that this is all. Your joke is
0: a problem, Scott.
3: No, no, no. You're, you're, no, no, no. <laughs> that's but, a go ahead. Shocker. Nancy, don't no, keep going. Your joke is not a problem. You're not a problem. You're, you're wonderful. What, what Ooh, thank m- you mentioned though is the way that there are transactional things going on. Yeah. Right? that's the that, really Like problem. there's a, like the transactional nature of it. There's, there's a lot of sex work, which I'm not you know, dissing sex work. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that this is people who, people who use these apps aren't necessarily going on there to again, fall in love. They're going on there because they can't pay their rent and they need somebody to give them money for sex so that they can pay their rent. There's people going on there because, um, they hate women. And they want to attack and. But and let, let me
1: let, let me put out just around that because that's yeah. serious. Misogyny and technology that increases misogyny, as we've seen across Which these is other platforms, you talk about a lot. Is is really ugly, and I'm going to put forward a thesis, and I think you're going to disprove it. And because I haven't done research around this, but I would think that similar to Airbnb and Uber, identity is really powerful. And that when people go on these apps, is there is there some inclination to behave better? and are you safer to a certain extent on a dating app because quite frankly the company knows who both parties are there's identity involved is that not has that not led to some good things
3: there is not safety on dating apps i think there's mm-hmm. less safety on dating apps than even in person hmm. like in random person well it's not it's it's virtually anonymous in a way also they don't do anything to respond i mean propublica mm-hmm. did a big big story in 2019. And then they followed up with a couple in 2021, even recently, 2021 about how they, the dating apps train their, their, uh, workers. This just came out a couple of weeks ago to, to spend four minutes, four minutes tops, talking to people about their sexual assault concerns. Mm-hmm. Four minutes. Like anybody who's a sexual assault survivor knows that's not enough time to talk to somebody when you have a problem and need to report it and to talk to someone about it. So, um, I don't think they're responding in the way that they should. I think they're doing the bare minimum. If, for example, they just there's a lot of, you know, criti- criticism right now. And l- people like me are coming out and saying stuff. And then in Australia, they've had a lot of consciousness raising around mm-hmm. dating apps. They've had protests, women, you know, not particularly about dating app protests, but connected to sexual assault, me too stuff. And uh they've had a lot of pressure in those countries. Mm-hmm. So so in New Zealand and Australia. So Tinder now last week said that they're going to do this thing where they're gonna. So if you're the AI will know if you're about to send a harassing message or a dick pic, and, and have a little thing pop up on the screen that says. Don't are you, send a dick pic. No, no, it right. No,
1: I don't know why I find that funny. I apologize.
3: <laughs> well, you're good. You're right to laugh. You is a minority
1: waiting. reporter so on what dick What is going to
3: happen? <laughs> no, no, wait, wait! You you are
1: Jeff s- Bezos. Put the camera
3: away. <laughs> right. <sighs> oh okay. My God. So God. you've you've world's hit the world's colliding. Sorry. You've Go hit ahead. The, you've hit the nail on the head or the dick on the head or something by saying by by hit by the bringing dick on up like somebody who's going to send a dick pic isn't going to cease because Tinder says, "Are you sure you <laughs> want to send that? Yeah. Are you sure, like your mom's like, are you sure you want to send that?" But really. Uh, My question is, why doesn't that message say, if you send that, you will be kicked off this app forever? Or
1: just start kicking people off. Isn't that more impactful?
3: Yeah. So the, the, I have a last
0: question, Nancy. This is a really important topic, even though it's grim, Scott. Too bad. Uh, I, what's? Uh, no, what I love y- Scott. Y- you having <laughs> okay, well, you having advice, Scott will get to ask you the last question then.
3: I especially uh, love Kara. I yeah. mean, Kara, you're in my book. Did you know you're in my book? No. Am I? Yes, I do. Well, I read oh, parts I talk of about it. I about of course she is. No, that's not what I meant. Anyway, I mean, in any swipe right case. Right I, on the, swipe right,
1: right, right on the book mentioned.
0: All right, listen. Am listen. I allowed to have a Yes, you may. You can have me as a hero. It's fine. But let me ask you this question. You yourself did this. Um, What advice do you have people who want to use these dating apps, they're going to use them and they're here to stay, I think. So what what is the most unexpected, for yourself, if you had to give advice to someone using them? I know at the end of the book, you say, go look at ducks, essentially, but what- No, what, I don't say I, that. No, I, I don't say go no, look at no, ducks. No, I know what your point is, but the the issue is, what, <laughs> what would you want people to do who are using these? What are your best practices if you're using these things?
3: And for I do yourself. not think people should use them. Oh, I think all right. they're harmful. All right. hmm. Okay, I think that they're bad for you. I think that you. I mean, we all we all agree. There's a terrible instance of rape, sexual assault, harassing messages, unsolicited messages. People feel you. You yourself said people feel bad when yeah. they use them. People My son feel, took his off. Took his well, off. Did a short go. Tinder steal. Took it off. He didn't feel good.
0: He but didn't you feel can, good.
3: Well, your hmm. son is a person who's intact with his emotions and, yeah. that's, and he's protecting his emotions. And I yeah. think that anyone who wants to protect themselves... And, and protect their emotions and protect their safety, emotional and physical, should not use these things. Should and not I, use them. All I right. don't think so. All and right. I don't think you should look at ducks, although I do like ducks. But okay. All right, Scott, last question.
1: Well, Nancy, first, I think you're doing important work. I think this natural assumption kind of fomented by big tech and shareholders that connecting the world is just naturally a good thing and it doesn't have really negative externalities that we need to be thoughtful around is a courageous me- uh, message that, that you're going to get uh, – you're a, ton gonna, I yeah, get a ton of shit for it. I get shit for it like so constantly, constantly,
3: constantly, constantly, constantly. Yeah, I get a ton of just, shit for it, and people attack me every which way it. But guess what? Also, young women especially yep. say thank you. Thank so, you for saying that. Let me,
1: let me just say keep, keep, keep fighting the good fight. And also the, the connection you made that I think is really an important one is we're in the midst of the largest unsupervised experiment in the history of, of human behavior in the form of porn. And to think that that doesn't seep into people's relationships is just is is naive. And unfortunately, my industry in academia, no one wants to be known as known as the porn professor, so there just isn't a lot of good research on it. But I guess the question I would have is: if I make
3: you- that point. I mean, I, I, if you if you, if, I'm not trying to promote promote, but read my book because I'm mm-hmm. just say exactly what you just said mm-hmm. in the book. There's a there's a deep connection between porn and all of this, mm-hmm. and I mean, I think the fact that dating now involves nudes which are essentially self-generated pornography is mm-hmm. one of the big tip-offs about that but anyways I'm sorry but, to but let's
1: let's assume that technology around uh, key components of our society including dating and mating it, that it's it's out of the bottle, and it's probably yeah. not going to be put back in. And then whether- hire
3: more women. Hire more women in your companies. Right. Right. Ask your question. to ask your oh, questions. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, you 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 began to answer my question. What what would you like to see us advocate and push these companies to do to make a healthier ecosystem?
3: Hire more women, hire more people of color. I think Mm -hmm. that if there were more people of color at these apps, for example, Mm -hmm. the algorithms, it wouldn't be acceptable that the algorithms were biased towards race, which a 2018 study by -hmm. by Cornell says that dating apps are (laughs) essentially racist. And you can read about that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have to go into why, but they're – they promote racism, not only on the apps, but outside of the app. So I think that if there were more people of color, more LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. more women in these companies, in positions of power and in, in the design so of So Bumble,
1: which was founded by a woman, do you find that that's a healthier ecosystem?
3: No. Bumble was founded by a woman who, I mean, I'm sorry to say, I think is a you know, what they call a foot soldier for the patriarchy because Mm -hmm. Bumble, the idea for Bumble was not Whitney wolf idea. It was the idea of the guy who, the Russian mogul who does Badoo. Mm -hmm. Andrev, how do you pronounce his name? Andrev. It was his idea. He came to uh, Whitney and said, hey, we want to do this. You want to be the face of this thing? And Mm -hmm. we'll say it's a feminist dating app and this is not like my conspiracy theory. This has been reported, and it's it's known. And he still owns, I think, eighty percent of it, and she owns twenty. It still made her enormously wealthy. But mm-hmm. they, they, they. Uh, she's one of the richest women in America, according mm-hmm. to Forbes. But they uh, promote this, and newspapers like the washington post and all these people continually say the feminist dating app but then i talked to like feminist you know thinkers and scholars about it and they said what is feminist about this this is not feminist in any way shape or form it just like codifies is is there
1: anyone that is less bad in your view
3: i mean i i i i think that there are people out there Mm -hmm. like 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 Justin McCloud, who does Hinge. He's a good guy and he really wants in his heart to mm-hmm. make this better and make it a better experience. I don't think that everyone who does a dating app is is an evil person. Like they they want you know, they want to make
0: people meet each
3: other. They want people to meet each other. Mm-hmm. And Hinge for a while had this idea like, oh, we're going to be the app that you delete and we're going to give you all this data about all our – this was a couple of years ago when I was also you know, making waves. They came out – I don't know if it was connected, but they did come out and they said, we're going to publish all this data about how many people on Hinge have met their long-term partner, mer- you know, spouse, um, I never saw that data. I think because it doesn't exist, and if it did, it wouldn't—or or if it—it it, it wouldn't be uh, as you impressive. Right, it wouldn't be a good advertisement. So, All right. I do think that they want it to be better, but they're going to have to do a whole lot more.
0: All right, I come mm-hmm. to one conclusion: let your mama fix you up. That's what I say.
3: Let well, your mama
0: fix you up.
3: Since you know about the ducks, you know that in the beginning of the book, I talk about the days of like, you know, arranged marriages and everything. And I am not advocating that. that would, I, I
0: know, but I, I feel I, I like would, I would make good choices for well, children.
1: That's what we need.
3: You would. <laughs> You would, but not everyone. I like, know, just me. I made I choices for. I would have been that girl, that young woman in the book who like yeah. got out of Dodge and moved to New York City and became a factory worker and went on dates in the nineteen teens, which is how dating started. Yeah, and and I would have been her, and I would have gotten in all kinds of trouble for yep. that. But yeah. Anyway, Nancy, I love
0: the work you're doing. I think it's great. I'm glad Keep you're pissed. fighting the it. good fight, Nancy Keep
1: Fighting
3: the
0: good fight. I love Nancy. you guys. Thank you. so all much. All right. Thank you, and good thank luck. You. The book is called Nothing Personal. Uh, and uh, and it's Nancy Joe Sales who's very well known. She says it's my secret life in the dating app inferno. And when the word inferno is used, that's not hot; it's just burnt. Correct, Nancy?
3: Although although there's a lot of hot sex in the book. Okay,
0: and moving <laughs> on. Okay, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here.
1: Thanks, you Nancy Joe. Bye
4: bye. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent. and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's SYLVAN29.com.
0: All right, Scott, that was grim. Grim. Graham, it's a good thing Hmm. you have that lovely wife of yours. I'll just tell you that. Me too.
1: I'm glad I was like, I grew up in an era where I just went to bars and got ridiculously fucked up so I could get the confidence to speak to strangers. That Uh, was much healthier. Really? That was much healthier.
0: Is that how you did it? Pretty much. Um, Pretty much. I never used a dating app, my friend. Never. Not Mm -hmm. once. Never. Just meet people. and just
1: meet people. Oh, well, good for you. Isn't that nice? It's true. Isn't that nice?
0: Oh, it is nice, actually. I have to tell you, I I would never be able to survive on a dating
1: I got to be honest. When she yeah. said she was dating this lovely young man for a moment, I thought she was going to say it was Louis Swisher. <laughs> I got to be honest.
0: Cougar town on this episode of Cougar <laughs> town. Right. No. All right, Scott, wins and fails. Wins and fails. Um, you know what I'm going to talk about?
1: I told you I banged a cougar and now I'm no longer allowed at that zoo any longer. Oh that's my god. Oh
0: God, why did I let you say that? <laughs> listen, listen. That
1: was way too serious. I'm gonna go first. That you know what my win's gonna win? too <laughs> be?
0: What is my win gonna be?
1: I don't know. What's your Mariby's win? <laughs> what win,
0: What's your win? Town. Speaking oh, yeah, yeah, of hot sorry. ladies. Yeah. <sighs> third third week in a row. Let me just say it's really catching on. It's becoming a big hit. It is a big hit now. I was right about it from the beginning. This is a big hit. This I have predicted on uh, online who is gonna who is the killer who's the killer I have I I feel like I made a good case I'm not gonna do it here yeah but I did it on you can go look on the Twitter to see my guests. on the Twitter
1: the, on the Twitter I love yeah, that yeah you show. tried to explain it to me earlier today and I didn't understand but what I, the, oh I, I'm you having get trouble it, you tracking all the characters and all the motives
0: that's the whole point that's yeah. the whole point they're all related to each other that's all yeah. you need to know and they all have weird agendas they don't know about and they all have weird relationships and that's all you need to know go ahead. You go ahead, you go ahead. That is my win, and it's my fail that it will be over next week. Thank you.
1: Yeah, The win, I think there's a lot of really uh, great innovation to encourage people to get vaccines. I think some of these state lotteries are wonderful. And I think also, speaking of dating apps, some of the dating apps have agreed to make uh, vaccines a criteria. And Andy Slavitt, our friend, uh, uh, worked with some dating apps such that people could request. And also, it's now a, a criteria whether you're vaxxed or not. And I think there's a lot of great innovation and and thoughtful encouragement around ensuring Mm -hmm. that we, I mean, this thing is a monster and it's on the run, but we shouldn't just let it escape town. We should hunt it down and put a stake through its fucking heart. And so I think there's some creativity around encouraging people who were maybe on the fence to get vaxxed. And my loss is that I think China has the opportunity to come, unfortunately, come out of this pandemic as a new global leader unless we catch up and start going on the offense. And manufacturing. Well, see now
0: last week, though, you said they, they weren't getting their vaccines. They can't travel to Europe. So in that regard. Their vaccines
1: aren't as good, but they've actually right. donated uh, substantially more vaccine to other nations than we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, their Belt and Road Initiative, uh, foreign investment, yeah. I think that coming out of this crisis, uh, like coming out of, this is the biggest crisis, you know, argu- arguably since World War II, mm-hmm. it tends to reorder the geopolitical chessboard. And yeah. I worry that I think uh, a, a worry, and also think it's a huge opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, we have not shipped a single donated uh, dose. I don't believe outside of the U.S. yet. Yeah. We've promised some, but we haven't actually yeah. gotten our act together. Agree. And I think not only not only the vaccines, but to take advantage of some of the wonderful organizations, whether it's the Peace Corps or Latter Day Saints, Saints, who had to re- recall about twenty thousand of the missionaries because of COVID. But to put put uh, uh, Americans out on foreign shores with the best vaccines in the world and yeah. show what we're capable of. You know, I think of. we're
0: spending all our time worrying whether Marjorie Taylor Green's going to kill us someday um, or, you know, fighting over nine eleven. 11 I mean, excuse me, um, January 6th. Commissions and this and that. We do not have our eye on the ball here, and it's because these lunatics are scaring the bejesus out of the rest of us. I think that's part of it. We, you're right. We don't have our. We're arguing over stuff we shouldn't be arguing over, like we're kids just, and trans. We're
1: distracted. I don't know. Let we're let distra- just put the fucking idiot in the corner of the room and ignore them. Yes, exactly. We got bigger well, it's fish hard. To fry. It's hard.
0: We got bigger fish to fry. Um, I think, uh, I think when you think about it, the fail, I have to say, I do have a fail this week, uh, besides the fact-, the fact that there's no mayor of Easton after next week. But I, you know, I was talking about the AT&T thing earlier and mm-hmm. John Malone, who I think is brilliant, is brilliant. Um, he said on CNBC today, um, uh, which I didn't buy the claim, which was John Malone said it was brave for John Stanky for inking the recent deal with Discovery. It was brave of him to do. He got, uh, uh, you know, he 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 essentially said that um, that it was a good thing that Malone said it was a good thing that he did, and it was brave of him to do so. Yeah, and said so Malone on him. is
1: about to cash a huge check.
0: <laughs> I, I get it. It was just incredible that they let him just say that because you know it's, it felt like log rolling in our time. Um, and I just sort of was shocked that that he said that. You know, he, did that, you read
1: the article in the Wall Street Journal the, with the the behind the scenes where they went to a they went to a a, a townhouse in the West Village and there was a, a oh, picture yeah. of the Steve McQueen. It literally sounded like. Speaking it's, of dating. It sounded like something out of the corporate 60s. porn sixties. It was like Jimmy Gardner meeting Angie Dickinson for a hike. It could not have been wider and older.
0: <laughs> I know. Like that's these, exactly why. I was like, are you kidding? Like, these like, people Jesus, aren't is capable. This mad men? Literally, Ted Sorantos will blow them out of the water and like cut them into little pieces. Like no, and I don't he's, think it's he's over. a schmoozer. Let me just say he no, I, I, I saw him in the polo over. lounge many times. But he's the guy at Netflix. He's he's the run, guy running Netflix. I just was like, that was disgusting to me. I agree with you. I agree, Angie dickinson
1: and james Carter. seriously it's like it's like literally they're like i used to party with these cool cats in Cuba. i mean they said they could not have sounded more fucking older and wider. jesus christ
0: <laughs> yeah okay that's my fail What's your like, fail. Your fail was that. You said China. Have China. you seen
1: the new LeBaron? Oh, that, <laughs> that's a sweet ride. I mean, God.
0: <laughs> they did. They sounded terrible. Oh,
1: my God. They found, they, and also, it
0: was like flirty. He sent him a stanky scent to David Zaslav. Yeah, I, I, I somebody comes messages, in here and throws a little
1: text just, messages? Like, oh, oh my God, God.
0: I know. I'm never going to. We're never. David Zaslav will never be on Sway or this show. So may, maybe you're happy about that. Or John um, John Lowney is brilliant. I can't believe it. Brave. He was brave of making a mess and then cleaning it up. He was brave
1: for bailing out my shitty company for billions. He I was know, brave.
0: <laughs> he was brave Thank for you. making a disgusting mess and paying Thank himself you. a lot and then yes. cleaning it up. Thank what you. a brave thing to do. Oh, a God, these seven. people. Anyway. All right, uh, Angie Dickinson. I really appreciate it. I like that you mentioned Angie Dickinson. Does anyone oh, who's Angie under Dickinson. like 50 know who Angie Dickinson oh, is? She's a police gangster. woman. Total Look gangster. her up. Police Let me woman. just say, look that woman up. That was the best show. Piper? Was that her name on it? Pepper. Pepper.
1: Pepper, yeah. Yeah. No Pepper. agent. Yeah, she was great. And then the her Rockford Files
0: Anyway, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your questions for the Pivot podcast. The link is also in our show notes.
1: Today's episode was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Uh It was engineered by Ernie Intratot. If you like what you heard, please download or follow us. You know all the different places. Kara, uh, I don't know. I, I actually think online dating. Yeah. I, I don't think it's. I'm not sure it's the technologies. I think it's. I think it's us. People. I, I, th- I think it's us. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I, I think
0: it's us with technology. Yeah. There we have it. Anyway. There
1: go. Anyways, we'll see you. I uh, hope everyone has a Fantastic week and we'll see you again on when do we come back? When do we do this fucking thing? Monday. Oh okay. Friday. Friday. <laughs> Jesus, where am I? Where am I?
0: <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> Jesus. We'll see you guys Friday. <laughs> yeah.
4: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of.